Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and curious individuals. And I say that with the utmost respect. Today, we are going to be talking about the Paris platform features with our very special guest. Some of you may know him, Dave Slusher. Welcome to the show, Dave. Welcome, Chuck. Good to be here. You are you have the honor of being on episode two of Breakpoint. <laughs> We're still at the beginning. I had somebody say, wow, a podcast I can start from the beginning. <laughs> Tell the listener a little bit about who is Dave Slusher in case there's those three people out there who may not know. Uh, I've been with ServiceNow for about seven years. It will be seven years this fall. Um, actually, uh, Chuck and I started on the same team in professional <laughs> services way back in 2013. Um, I spent about five years in the developer program, developer.servicenow.com. If you are, surely everyone's familiar with that, but if not, that is a resource for you. And set for about the last, uh, getting close to uh, a year, I have been actually a software engineer on the integration hub team. So I don't actually um, produce any working production code. What I do is actually very similar to my former role where I'm kind of about outbound uh, education, um, examples, example content, blog posts and videos and things specifically around Flow Designer and Integration Hub. And outside of work, what do you do? What do you like to do? As you know, I'm a early podcaster from uh, the very, very earliest days. Um, I'm kind of a science fiction fan, comic book fan. Um, I have uh, as digital as much of my life is. I have a ridiculous number of uh, pamphlet comic books <laughs> sitting in this house. It's the one thing that I have steadfastly resisted uh, digitization on. But, uh, and you took them from your old house to the new house. So you actually had to make a conscious decision to say, yes, these are coming. Good gravy. Some of these ones have been from Georgia to Oregon to Louisiana and back. They, some of these comic books have 20,000 miles on them. <laughs> a true fan. A true yes, fan. Absolutely. All right. Let's turn our attentions to... Uh, the Paris platform features, your focus is mainly on the, the Flow Designer Integration Hub. That's where you spend your time. So mm -hmm. I would, uh, we will be talking to other subject matter experts about process automation designer and upgrades and you know some of the newer shiny things that are in there. But there is a lot of new stuff in Flow Designer and Integration Hub. I'm going to go right for the gut. Do you have a favorite? You know, I'll tell you. Uh, it's probably not, it's not the biggest ticket item in there, but the Jason parser is probably the one thing I have been waiting for, for the longest, because, um, I want to say, um, in Orlando, I believe, I can't remember if it was New York or Orlando. We got an XML parser. We did not get a Jason parser. <laughs> that was a disappointment, wasn't it? <laughs> and it kind of felt like a, Hey, here's the good news. We have an XML parser. Here's the bad news. We don't have the thing that, you know, more and more, um, we really, I don't know about you and uh, kind of the integrations you touch, we've crossed a tipping point where it is more likely, if I get a payload, it's more likely to be Jason than XML. Absolutely. It, it felt like I was walking around with one shoe on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, of the, all the ones, you know, it may not be the majority of the thing I'm going to use, but of the ones I was happiest to see was the Jason Purser. Absolutely. Are there any... Uh, I'm, I'm flipping this whole thing on its head because I usually save these for the end. Uh, are there any hidden gems that you'd like to call out? Something that you, you got and you went, oh, people really need to know about this. 
The now I have not done a, a lot of this in practice because I'm kind of at the uh, you know I'm at the soak in stage where I'm understanding it and I have not touched every one of these features. But the one I think that looks like it's going to be uh, uh, one of the ones that like for the practitioner, the person who's actually producing uh, production logic for their organization, mm-hmm. I think the duplicate in action and the duplicate of subflow is absolutely one of those kinds of things. Because if you've got, um, for example, if you've got a situation where you've got just got to do some sort of repetitive thing, but you may have some different conditions or you may have it in some if logic, uh, just being able to say, just do this four times and then like wrap it up into the conditional. Um, it just reduces one of those kind of repetitive drag things, which is, you know, this is the, you know, the flow designer and integration hub um, have followed the classic model of a new, a net new capability and service now, right? You have the ver- version one where it exists and it's physically possible to do a thing, but it may not be at scale. It may not be the easiest thing to do. And then like every version, it gets better and better and better, you know, to at this point where we're, you know, we're beyond it in almost every aspect. We're beyond a hundred percent parity with workflow. Right. And so, uh, you know, it just, that now we're kind of really getting into the things where uh, like most logic that you want to do, most um, activity exists, that capability is there. And now how do we make this so that the person who spends their day working in flows, working, you know, creating integrations, creating this, what can we do to make them, uh, you know, increase their velocity, make it so that they can produce more value faster. And we're, that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah. I'd have to agree that, that Paris to me feels like that release you wanted where where we stop trying to crank out more new features and we take mm-hmm. a, a retrospective and optimize and and take out those those itches you need to scratch or or work around and and I've asked for one of these releases for a long time it's like can we just take a pause and make it better rather than focusing on new 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 and and you're right we've we've got to that point where these are really powerful tools. In fact, I'm, I'm, I've had to retrain that muscle that normally reached for a script, whether it was to do a REST API or to do a scheduled job or something. Say, no, Flow Designer is in my, you know, that's going to be my first go-to. And if I can't do it there, then I'll revert to script as opposed to the other way around going, I'm a developer, I'll make a script mm-hmm. and get it done quickly. Well, yeah, not always the best way to do things. Well, and that's, you know, in the nature of, you know, how we do things where we have this six month cadence where every six months you're going to get a new release followed by the uptake problem, which is the new release comes out and then your organization may not have those features for some period of time. Yes. So you always have the spread of what you know is possible, what you have available now, what you're waiting for in your next upgrade. (laughs) Um, And so it can be a bit um, complicated added to that, that you learned, uh, the capabilities at some point in the past <laughs> and you learn them at that point in time and they continue to march forward. So uh, that is one of the challenges of a ServiceNow uh, developer. And, you know, one of the things that you and I explicitly, our job is to do is to make sure that people stay, um, stay up to date because that question is of, do I do this in flow designer? Do I do it in a workflow? Do I do it in a business rule? Do I do it in script? There was a correct answer in 2018 that may not be the same correct answer in yes. you know July of 2020. And for what it's worth, the duplicate action is my favorite too. I did not know you could duplicate subflows though. That's news to yes. me. So 
hey, I've already learned something on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good day. <laughs> the, right up there with that one, uh, and, and I've already used it in, in a Paris instance because I, have a, I had a note right on a flow that I knew was going to be upgraded in the next week or so. I said, save this for Paris. I have an annotation <laughs> underneath it because I needed to duplicate that two or three times. One was in an if block. It, it was an update mm-hmm. record and I'm updating seven fields and you know, data pills are fun and all, but when you got to drill down to two or three levels in a data panel and mm-hmm. or or the cannonball icon over and over and over, it becomes very tiresome when sometimes no parameters are changing at all. You just need the mm-hmm. same update in the if and the same update in a for each and and one out on the main track. And oh, man, that is such a relief uh, within integration uh, within the integration hub when you're doing the action designer stuff there's some other nice features as well any anything that clicks for you there um the uh one of those ux improvements that we we are getting in paris is all around uh connections and credentials so um the again this is another one of those issues that kind of works at scale um is it is physically possible to manage um sets of uh, connections and credentials, right? So typically, like if you get a spoke, that spoke comes with an alias. And so you have your Slack, um, this Slack alias Mm -hmm. that you use with all your actions for your Slack spoke. And you can configure a set of those. And one is active at a time. Um, The, as of Paris, you have actually a nice um, overview dashboard that shows you all of your integration hub um, credentials um, that have been configured. And so you get this uh, visual representation. It's actually uh, basically like uh, data tiles that show you everything that you have. You can click them and it'll take you to the record. So uh, you can just at a glance tell what you already have. Um, and then there's um, there's some more uh, ability around supporting multiple connections so that you can have, um, you can have um, multiple accounts to the same connection, uh, you know, to the same system essentially that's so nice have, because yeah you yeah. could have a box account for your it people and you got a box account for your hr people and yes. your flow needs to move them between that uh, that that's uh you know just one possible use case for all that stuff that's one of those things that uh you know has been physically possible but i think it will be it will make the life of the people who are doing their job in these uh you know spending a lot of time working with these connections and these credentials in paris it will be easier for them I also like the flattened numbering scheme on the action steps <laughs> themselves, especially if you go into the script field and you're writing three underscore one underscore two underscore like what? You know, it wasn't one of those. Yeah. I want to slash my wrist moments. But on the other hand, it was another pain point that we've smoothed mm-hmm. over. And by flattening that out, it's like, oh, yes, finally. That, that's so nice. Yeah, that is definitely another one of those where it's. You know, sometimes this is like the difference. And, and, you know, you and I have both been in software a long time. <laughs> Everything, literally every software product looks great in the brochure. That is what the brochure is for. <laughs> and then the experience of when you actually do the thing over and over again, all day, every day, what's that experience like? And so that's not a thing that jumps out at you as being an issue up until the point where you realize, uh, you know, you're having to squint to see how many layers of dot ones is in this thing. <laughs> Is it 2.1.1.1 or 2.1.1.1.1? Please, at least let me copy and paste the darn thing. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually one that, like, it, it's not it's not the kind of thing that, you know, the thought experiment would have necessarily told you. This will make life a lot easier if we don't actually indent 
you know, follow the indentation. It actually made it made sense the other way. When you think about it, it just in practice, it kind of actually made things a little difficult, particularly if you're writing like a script transform or anything where you had yeah. to reference that thing, you know, textually, like like you were saying, is that actually made it made it harder, not easier, even though it seemed uh, for the best intention, it actually made it seem as if it was more readable, but it actually made it harder to script against. The the IntelliSense type ahead thing helps a lot with that, but eventually you're going to have to go edit, especially if you move that, that action to another place in your flow. Go, uh, ooh, ow. <laughs> yeah, and that, I mean, that's one of the things, you know, at this stage of the uptake, you know, part of what I do is I talk about um, why m- one might use Flow Designer to write logic versus workflow, right? And mm-hmm. so... Um, the, the only places where that's at all an impediment is where that linear top to bottom structure that flow designer is, you know, very much a, uh, you know, it's more or less structured the same way as a page of code is right. Mm -hmm. It's structured like Python code where you think about the loops are like an indentation. Um, and you know, a workflow is like a Visio diagram and in very rare cases, you know, it can be hard to represent really, really complex logic with that top to bottom very linear flow. Um, and, but that's one of those things where, you know, that numbering actually kind of makes that linear, uh, that linear flow more, uh, more workable in the long run. Have you used the flow API much? I have used it now and then. Um, I have used it, um, particularly, let's say if you wanted a scripted rest API that triggered a flow, mm-hmm. um, I might start the, the start a flow just from like a one line call. You know, you get a webhook pass some value from the webhook and then start a flow. That's mostly what I have used it for. Um, I have seen other people who've used it from various places where they may want to do, uh, they may have a business rule where they want to either do something or start a flow, you know? And so there may be logic inside a business rule that if necessary, will start a flow. Yeah. UI action would be another place. You could manually trigger a subflow, for example, and pass it, you know, your current glide record object would be another place. Absolutely. So, so it, I haven't I haven't had to do a lot of that, but I have uh, I have seen people I have seen use cases where that made sense for them. Uh, I know that the API has been restructured instead of, you know, just execute subflow or start subflow. It's it's now got this get runner. You tell it the subflow, mm-hmm. you can run it in the foreground and background. That's a new feature that we've got on on the flow is the checkbox on the UI that says run this in the background, which mm-hmm. uh, any any thoughts on that? Have you used that? I have not used the runner version yet, but I, I'll tell you what it, it seems to me, and I don't have direct insight into this, but just because of the fact that you had the action flow subflow yep. synchronous, asynchronous, right there, anything you do, you've got six versions of the same thing. And so like <laughs> essentially we're moving all those things from the the method call to into parameters of to that runner. So we're turning what was, uh, you know, the API. So you're either calling the uh, flow or you're calling the action API or you're calling the synchronous or the asynchronous. So we're moving all those essentially to data away from the actual uh, method call. And that seems like a, a sensible way to go forward because now you don't have to have this ever, you know, this ever expanding, you know, when you add one more thing to it, now you've got 24 versions of the API, right? No, that's a really good, I'm glad you put it that way because I hadn't thought about that. It, it makes a totally more sense to to do that. You're right. It, it, it's, it's not scalable in terms of APIs. And remembering it, I could never remember a start or execute this, the foreground or background one. I, I 
couldn't keep that straight. But now it says right in that chain in foreground or in background. Mm-hmm. So very nice. I yeah, do have a few of those that I'll probably need to uplift, but uh, it's not a, a monumental effort. Um, I do like anything that uses that expect style syntax where you chain the things together. Yes. To me, I love that. To me, that's so concise. That's so readable. And it's your, the intent of what you're doing is so clear. And I like that the runner uses that style where you create a runner dot and then you add something kind of like when you chain, uh, you know, the way you can chain queries sometimes or, or, or strings together, you know, you do a, yeah. a split, a sort, a join, a trim. <laughs> like, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like that that way of kind of representing that. So any place in the as parts of the platform get more and more of that expect style syntax, I I like it. That's my actual favorite way to kind of represent. You're representing kind of in some cases complex things that are multi-step operations, mm-hmm. but it's completely readable, just left to right, and it tells you exactly what it's doing. I would like to see the template when you say code snippet. You know, copy the mm-hmm. code snippet to see it laid out in that vertical format rather than all dotted on one line. It makes it a lot more readable for whatever reason to see them stacked up. We're, we're starting to see that with Glide Query as well. So just mm-hmm. from a readability standpoint, our template should follow a good practice. We've got run with roles. I've had a lot of questions mm-hmm. around this, that people saying, hey, if I put a run with roles, a user who initiates this session is going to mm-hmm. run this flow, and I put on, you can't put on admin, but let's say we put on... Uh, you know, ITIL into that mm-hmm. runs with roles. Do you know if there's licensing implications in that or not? I do not know if there's licensing. Like what you're, is that an end run around having a licensed user that has that role? Is that, that I think that is yeah. ultimately the question. Right? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I know I don't that's know. what people are thinking. Yeah, I don't know specifically about that. I don't know if, for example, if that means that like, let's say you have, uh, no licensed ITIL users at all on your system. Mm-hmm. So you have the role, but not a single licensed user. Um, what happens if you create a flow that runs with the ITIL role and you initiate it by somebody from somebody without that role? I don't know what that means for, uh, I don't know the licensing impl- implications of that. Um, that is a uh, that is an interesting question, but I don't I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to have to find a definite answer because everybody I've talked to said I don't believe so. It feels like one of these session level things. A, I don't think it's that practical to try and run your whole business around this this curvature of the earth through the runs yeah. a, run with rolls thing. It's it, it it you still need to get ACL set up so the right people have the right access to the right fields and tables. And the right menu options, because if you just opened everything up, it would be insanity. But if you shut it down, it would be handicap mm-hmm. insanity as well. So this is this is a nice feature, but I wouldn't base my entire licensing mechanism around it. However, yeah. it could help you if you are extremely license conscious for this piece of logic that needs to happen with this security. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice extension, but I wouldn't I wouldn't try to abuse it. It just seems like a, a world of hurt. Well, if anything, I think what it might do is uh, it might actually um, allow you to have fewer licensed users. Yeah. Like if you had somebody who wasn't really an ITIL user, but needed to do one specific thing that required the ITIL role, well, instead of them having the ITIL role, then that flow or that subflow or whatever has that role and you can run it with that. But you don't require essentially burning a, a, a license that has no other use for that exactly so yeah i think it, it i think it's actually a net benefit it might actually be a net license cost um 
parrot, it might get you closer to your true license cost. Agreed. If you had to license people um, that you necessarily, uh, you know, wouldn't wouldn't have otherwise. Well, still maintaining the security because the other yes. option is run his system. Like, oh, you know, that might yeah. be a bit broad of a paintbrush. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the you. I mean, that's the thing is that you're not going to want to. Um, you're not going to want to broaden that. The you're not going to want to loosen the ACLs on those. You're not going to want to give it to an inappropriate set of users, and then uh, you you kind of have that uh, deal with the devil. <laughs> it's like, all <laughs> yeah. right, do I make this too open? Do I license too many people? And this actually seems like it can get you closer to the true, uh, you know, the true alignment of those uh, of those needs. One of the other things that I thought was neat, and we used to have this back in what was it, UI 11 with the sidebar navigator in the um, in, in the main standard UI window, you know, the navigation window. You could create mm-hmm. custom like menus and present mm-hmm. them to say, this is for my ITIL users. This is for my knowledge users. This is for my, you could create those. We've now got that in Flow Designer because as we come out with more spokes and more actions, that menu gets bigger and bigger. And can you just see the look on somebody's face for the first time going into flow designer? Like, what? what, what do I pick? Where is it? Obviously we have a search, but now you can tailor that menu mm-hmm. experience around these, these user access and, and controls to, uh, to make it easier to navigate. They're not looking at the whole world and every spoke. It's like, you know what? You're an HR person. You really don't need to know about our SAP integrations. So mm-hmm. we'll leave those off the menu for you. Uh, Are you talking a, specifically about the content filtering? Yeah, where the, you've got the action. Yeah. You can filter the action, the flow logic, and the subflow right. menu down to specific. You can say, people with this role see these right. bits and pieces. and or, uh, or to put that on his head, if you don't have the role to to use it, yeah. you're not gonna sit, it's not going to be in the list. So it will actually it will pare down the things so that you're not presented with options you can't act on. Likewise, if something's already on a flow, it's going to be there. But if you delete it and want to put it back and you don't have access, um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, I believe that if you don't have, if there's any action on there you don't have uh, access to, I don't. I believe the flow is read-only for you. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. We're going to look at that I believe that that's how it works, yeah. Okay. So that you can't, you can't even do that because, you know, you couldn't remove something you couldn't put back because it will be read-only for you by the presence of any, if any one of those actions are ones you could not add on there yourself the flow becomes read-only to you. Unless, I wonder if it shows up as a ghost action. That's another feature we added that was one of those annoying things. If if you, say, had a couple of spokes or, or custom actions you did in dev or test, mm-hmm. and you get it to production and it goes, uh, I can't run, I don't have all the pieces, because you've got the flow, mm-hmm. but you don't have all the components that make it up, then it, it, it sticks in this big orange icon that says, this is a ghost action. Go find it, fix it, or delete it. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if it if we're using ghost actions in that context as well. I'll have to look. Don't yeah, I don't believe so. I believe what you'll see is you'll just see it as you would see any read only um, any read only flow or subflow. Um, but then uh, you know, so you won't be able to do any of that. But it will be um, a fully resolvable, fully okay. executable flow by somebody. It would be so. What this does is two different users, one with the role and one without the role. Um, have a different edit um, experience without actually having to go do a delegated development like um, uh, you know access granting. Mm-hmm. Effectively, you get that sort of um, behavior without doing anything. It would be entirely based on the user roles of the user who is using Flow Designer. Okay. 
Back to the uh, topic of integrations real quick before we wrap this up. Have you done much with data streams? There is no line of code in our platform that I contributed, but there is a spoke on the store that I built, and that uses uh, data streams quite heavily. It's a, uh, it's a spoke that has an integration that can return, depending on the, the uh, production setup, can return hundreds of thousands of records. So the data so stream I, was, was for the scalability. Pagination, I would assume, is in there as well? Yes. So data streams implicitly paginate. So when you set up a data stream action, what you're effectively saying, it, it, is, um, it will return a list of um, records, and it is implicitly um, an iterator as well. Mm-hmm. So um, as opposed to getting, um, you know, you're not going to get back a list of objects. What you're going to do is uh, create behavior underneath the data stream that will execute once for every record in that data stream. So a data stream, that is the stream part of it, is you will get the records one at a time. So if you, underneath your data stream object, you said, okay, log, you know, sysid, it will do that log sysid once for every possible record. Now, inside the data stream, um, it has the logic where it knows how to paginate, it knows what the parameter name is, you know, it, it, it's keeping up with the I'm on page X Mm-hmm. And I'm asking for, you know, Y records every time. Um, so it's, it's basically paging through the data. You, as the consumer of the data stream, don't, are shielded from all of that. Right. All you know is you're going to get these records one at a time, and you're going to act on them. Yeah, I, I love those. I've built one myself recently, too. Actually, a couple of them for different scenarios. And even though your page size may be 100 records, it may be based on a token to get the next page. It may be based on a start position and account or start mm-hmm. and end position, depending on what the other system needs. You can build that all into the data stream. But again, the, the person putting that on the flow is insulated from all of that. The reason I bring it up is because now we can use those as data sources for a regular source type, kind of like, here's my Excel, here's my JDBC. Boom, mm-hmm. here's my data stream, and you put that on, and it will say which one you want to use. So I think that's really flexible, and, and I'm looking forward to using it. <laughs> yeah, that's an, an, interesting, uh, an interesting use case where you may create um, a, a data stream action and get that set up, and you never once use it in a flow. Right. Because you're using it only in an import set, right? Or a scheduled you know, a scheduled import or something like that. It, it's a bit like so, a subflow never being on a flow. I just call this from a UI action all the time. It's, it's there. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. And they, the, that's, again, those kinds of, um, you know, our customers will always uh, uh, surprise us with the innovative uses they put these things to. Because you will go out and then you will talk to a, a, you know, a customer developer or a partner developer and they'll say, oh, I did this. And they'll show you something and you'll see, wow, that's a perfectly uh, valid use of the technology that I never in my wildest dreams would have considered doing. And so uh, I, what, that to me is always the most exciting part of yeah. any of these releases is I want to see what our customers and our partners do that I wouldn't have thought of doing myself. I mean, right. that's the fun part of the whole the whole process. Well, that comes back to us and, and, and we can work with those use cases and find out how are, what are the ways we can make this better. Mm-hmm. So. And that feeds back into kind of where we started, which is that drives the UX. You know, yep. when uh, when the customers have um, a persistent, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a failure level deficiency. 
It could just be, boy, this is a drag. And I don't like having to do this over and over. That is as, that is as much in need of fixing as something that just doesn't work, right? Yeah. If it makes your life more difficult to create uh, business value, then we want to fix that. That's a problem. And so, uh, you know, letting being uh, open with us about the user experience you would like to have or the user experience challenges you have um, helps us. And that's, I mean, that's what drives the improvements that you're seeing now is the fact that somebody told us about it. So always, uh, always be open with us. We, we want to hear your experiences. Yeah. And, and I've heard, I'm going to throw out a safe harbor hashtag here. <laughs> I've heard Quebec coming out in spring of 2021 has a big developer focus on it. It's all about mm-hmm. building quickly and easily. So if you've got things that uh, are getting under your skin or you just like to see a better UX for the developer, now's a really good time to let us know. And with that, Dave, how would somebody get in, in touch with you? You can always uh, get in touch with me at dave.slusher at servicenow.com. Feel free to uh, email me if you have any uh, integration hub, uh, flow designer type questions. I have um, started doing public facing flow designer integration hub office hours. If you look on the community uh, and look for those in uh, the platform or the developer communities, you'll see those posts. So uh, you can either search for me on the community. You can search for those posts, office hours. Um, so, uh, when, every Wednesday, uh, I do a rotating internal, external friendly for the Americas times and then friendly for Europe and Asia times. Very so nice. Every Wednesday, uh, from time immemorial at this point, <laughs> we'll be doing one of the office hours. Some of them are for, uh, internal, some of them are for external. So check that out. We just did our first one, uh, a couple days ago as, or yesterday as of the time of this recording. So, uh, look for those. If you would like to come and ask your, uh, your flow designer or integration hub questions. They can be extremely tactical and specific to your situation. They can be broad architectural best practice type questions. All are welcome. And uh, just know that no matter what happens, uh, there's always an office hour. Uh, if you're, if you're having any challenges implementing logic in your business, uh, we have a backstop of, you know, resources that you can reach out to. So the community uh, we monitor there and, uh, you can come to the office hours or you can email me again at dave.slusher at servicenow.com. Wonderful. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for joining us, Dave, and uh, hope we get a chance to talk again soon. All right. Thank you, sir. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.